From Los Angeles, California, this is The Relationship Show with Dr. Wendy and Miss Jenny. This is a casual conversation between two friends and colleagues taking serious topics not so seriously. This podcast contains strong language and is intended for mature audiences. It is for entertainment purposes only. Enjoy. Okie dokie. Yay. Woohoo. So, welcome back to the relationship show with the. Oh, uh, just like that? Just like that. With uh, Dr. Wow. Randy and Miss Jenny. You just like busted out with like, welcome back. I didn't even know we were like on. Yes, we are. Well, we're always on. I'm enjoying my, you know, my uh, Snickers and. Snickers and Chardonnay. Are you a uh, Milky Way? Girl, or more like a Snickers or Twix? What do you like? It's interesting that you just said that, because I, I definitely am a Milky Way person. Uh, I went through a phase in life where I was really asking myself the existential question, what the fuck is nougat? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, <laughs> it's good, whatever it is. <laughs> exactly. I remember in the days before the internet, mm-hmm. uh, it was a real mystery, and then I realized it's just... Whipped nuts, I guess. But I, I love. <laughs> Wait, oh. is that what it is? I didn't know that. And I used to strip under that name. <laughs> whip nuts. Wait, could you just Ladies tell me? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage. Is nougat whip nuts? I believe so. Did you Google that? I've never actually Googled it. <laughs> I, 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 I believe oh I just figured that out. Somehow. I think we're gonna have to Google that because I don't know if that's true. But there was a time in my life I was a Milky Way girl, but then all of a sudden, I needed nuts. Milky Way has no nuts. Was this before or after you started working in psychotherapy? <laughs> I, I need more nuts. I grew into nuts. nuts. I just... <laughs> I did. I think I just needed some nuts. Paging Dr. Floyd. Dr. Floyd. Paging Dr. Floyd. <sighs> Nougat? Wait. Really? It's whip nuts? Yeah, I don't sure know. I'm sure it's like a pureed... <laughs> really? I'm going to Google that. Yeah. I am. I'm going to Google it. Yeah. Hey, you know, email us. Uh, let us know. Yes. You know, um. Please let us know. I would appreciate that. <laughs> so, speaking of nuts, uh, and we were talking about what the next topic should be, and the issue of compatibility and chemistry, the, those, the questions, is one more important than the other in a relationship, was something that we've discussed, and it's a very kind of universal topic for both men and women and relationships so well i love that topic (laughs) (laughs) so thank you for that topic (laughs) no you know it's interesting so i think about my parents they've been married 52 years and it's not you know it's it's bittersweet they have gone through a lot in their life but i'm kind of obsessed with asking long-term couples what is the recipe for success? What is it? So I'll be having dinner and I'll say, hold on to my friend and I'll go over to the next booth and I'll say, I'm sorry. I'm just curious. Uh, you know, you all seem very connected, you know, and they'll be a beautiful couple that have been married for 60 years. And I'll ask, you know, what is your suggestions? What What is your advice? What's the key to a long lasting loving relationship and over and over again I hear the same thing chemistry communication and humor and I think that's what my parents had said too I think that 
you know, it's not about the fighting, as we know as therapists. It's not about the arguments that happen so much as the healing and the repairing that happens. So conflict resolution. Uh-huh. A commitment to that, too, because I think a lot of couples either have these long-standing, yeah, these long-standing unresolved issues that they just keep fighting about habitually because they just... Just maybe they're attached to it, or it's just... You, you mentioned, I think it's Gottman who said something like 80% of things that mm-hmm. people fight about never get resolved. Yep. 80% all can be unresolved issues. And if you know that out the gate, 80%, then you need to move forward. So you can choose to hold on to something, but... You know, it's your perception, my perception. Can we have two different perceptions? And then can we move on? Can it be okay? Two different perceptions. Well, inevitably, there will be two different perceptions if there's two different people. I mean, even in the same room, we're going to... You and I are both here, and we're both doing something together, but we're having different experiences because we're different people. So, inevitably, that would be the truth, right? I mean, what is it? There's... There's your point of view, my point of view, and then there's the truth mm-hmm. or what actually happened. And I always think about, do you want to be in a relationship or do you want to be right? See? Right, right. And also, don't forget that everybody is projecting onto the other person their own childhood, their own kind of history, right. projecting unresolved issues that's imago therapy, right? So that's uh, Harville Hendricks, is that the image of? Yeah, imago therapy. His view is that we all get into relationships and every relationship you get healthier, but you project onto the other person unresolved issues until you work that out and then it's resolved and you kind of go on to another relationship where you get healthier and healthier, but they're unfinished or unmet needs that you had in early childhood and once they're resolved then you can kind of not feel that they're so pressing. I've had couples that have uh, dated for a long time and I've had couples that have just met and just got married and now they're just learning about each other and they're learning that they might not like so much or that they're very different it's it's uh, an interesting thing because we kind of go back to early childhood and their role models and communication style. And some people have seen affection and attention and some people have seen anger. And you're going to kind of replay those things until you figure out. You know, I was telling somebody today, it's interesting because this person has anger issues and grew up with watching a very angry father and mother and thought they didn't have a choice until we said, wait a minute, you know, you do have a choice. You're not your mom and you're not your dad. And that person kind of had a realization like, oh my God, I have a choice. And it was really lovely to see that empowerment. And and then you can imagine a relationship that has two kind of wounded souls that project that onto each other and they're just trying to communicate you know they're just trying to connect and it's hard it's hard to watch that as a therapist because you want to help people connect and communicate and people want to find love and feel loved and accepted for who they are and 
sometimes I think people, in line with what you're talking about, because of their historical past, their personal historical past, have a difficult time making themselves vulnerable and opening up to that because their experience hasn't shown them that it's possible to connect or be loved or, or, or to, even if they've been loved, maybe not to feel loved in that way. And so they start to feel like it's an impossibility and that's heartbreaking to me. But it's also beautiful when you do see those people start to open up sort of your mantra here, sort of to stay open um, and to make themselves vulnerable. And they can see the possibilities when they take responsibility, the choice to be vulnerable. And, you know, Gottman, um, the, the wonderful idea behind what they propose is that everyone communicates through physiological states. And so we see in therapy a lot of couples that connect through this fiery, manicky, angry intensity. And we, we can have a feeling about it, but that really feels like love to them. So we have to teach them a new way. That, that adrenaline rush, that fiery feeling, that amped feeling is not love. It's trauma. It's childhood trauma. And so his trauma is meeting her trauma, or if they're partners or whatever. And we have to kind of reverse, you know, what's what we call egocentonic or egodystonic, right? What we what is unhealthy communication feels healthy. It's kind of a distortion. And we have to retrain them that peaceful, calm, loving relaxation equals love. And the fiery kind of boxer in us, we don't need to be in the ring to feel love. That's not love. That's that's a wounded soul connecting with another wounded soul. I mean, that's the way that I see it. So passion, the way I'm thinking about chemistry, in, in a conversation about compatibility versus chemistry, is chemistry is more about that initial attraction, uh, pheromones, right? The passion, the 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 sexual chemistry, but sometimes also what you you just mentioned, even sometimes that fiery connection, which might not be hostile at the beginning. It may it may even feel playful, or somebody might be attracted to the challenge of it. Uh, or bantering, right? Debating, you know, a little, a little touch of sarcasm, like clever sarcasm, like at the beginning, which might be like attractive because it might indicate that the person is intellectually capable of keeping up with you, uh-huh. sort of a whole Adam's rib kind of thing, the the Hepburn Tracy banter. Maybe that's too long ago for some people <laughs> to relate to. A lot to. of people are saying, huh? Yeah, like, who? people under Say what? are like, who are they? What? That bird. Um, look it up, people. Look it up. <laughs> Even <laughs> Lucille Ball, you and I were talking about Lucille Ball and Ricky, right? Right. Even they had that fiery, passionate sarcasm, debating, 
she was a bad girl and he was the daddy kind of thing. Right. She was the fiery redhead mm-hmm. and he was the hot-headed Cuban, you know. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of ways to look at that. And she always got in trouble, which mm-hmm. caused a physiological response. So both of them kind of connected, but then they healed again. So you saw that beautiful healing kind of repair of celebration that I get you and I understand and you know it's interesting when we think of Ricky and uh Lucille Ball they didn't really they didn't really get into their family history it's kind of interesting a little bit into his and a little bit into hers but they didn't really say where they came from and why they came from those situations you know why they engaged that way or why they were attracted to each other the compatibility Lucille Ball, look it up, people. I love Lucy. You know, that's so sad, but a lot of people don't even know I love Lucy. Right. So, chemistry like that... And they had chemistry. Didn't they have chemistry? They did have chemistry. Well, I mean, when you look at them professionally and what they were able to build, I think that that's a great example of people who had chemistry. Totally. But compatibility was not, in the long term, going to play out for them. They they got divorced, but even after they were divorced, they still worked together, and they built a huge empire, the Desi Studios, and they were just part of that Paramount lot. There's a huge chunk of it that was all built by them. You know, it was the house that Desi Lou built. So friendship, partnership, that they were able to overcome, even though they had divorced, that they were still able to work together and be friends together. You know, it's interesting. I work with a lot of couples that have gotten divorced, and they're really good friends. And that blows my mind. That is so wonderful, the capability to move forward after part one of their relationship and then embrace each other in part two of being friends. And they still have that little chemistry, but they've been able to set a boundary on it, you know? Yeah, well, I'm very... I'm very proud of the fact that I'm still good friends with several of my former loves, people who I have been in love with in my life. It's not the relationship or the intensity or the feeling that I have for my husband. You're Uh, friends with all your exes? With the majority of them, yeah. I am not. (laughs) No. I'm not not friends. I'm just neutral. Like, everybody's, you know, it's fine, but... I don't want, you know, like, I, I'm kind of like, I move on. Like, I can't, That's, I don't want to be friends with anybody. Like, I wish them well, but, you know, <laughs> I don't, no, I'm done. But that's something I think that it's not a prescription for everybody, and I don't think it's easy all the time. I don't think that it's important to everybody. I don't think that it's necessary. I just... Not everybody can do that, though. Yeah, not everybody can. Not... I am so happy. I'm thinking of two or three people in particular right now who I adore, and I love their wives. Their wives are fantastic. I'm sorry, your ex-boyfriend's wives? Yes, yes. You're friends with them? Yes, because they're people... Okay, I have no interest. (laughs) I don't, I'm just, I, I, it's so interesting how different people see different things. And it's not better or worse. It's so fascinating. I love that. I think that's great. But like you said about relationships, how important friendship is. Uh And to me, 
I could never go out with somebody that I couldn't be friends with. Okay, that doesn't mean that I didn't go out with people that I wasn't friends with or that I <laughs> couldn't be friends with now or that I don't want to be friends with now. Um, but majority of the people, especially people who I would say were I was in love with, um, who I could fall in love and have that deep level of intimacy and even if it were just for a moment, imagine a future with, it was a deep feeling of friendship with them. Mm-hmm. And those are things that don't go away and, and a level of respect for them in certain ways. They went away for me. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, what? it's interesting because some people will say, should I be friends with my ex? Should I not? It's not a yes or no answer. It really is it subjective. It's so what your heart tells me. Dealt me, tells me, tells you, whatever. You know, it's about your heart. It's about. But as a therapist, it is what their heart tells. Yeah, but we don't give advice. Our job is not to give advice, but extract. You know, the best of somebody and and build on their strengths and and help them to trust what they know. I'll often talk to people who say, you know, it's my ex's birthday. Should I call or should I not? You know, I don't think it's compartmentalized and so black or white. Like, if you want to call and you're a loving person, call them. If you don't feel like you, you know, want to call them, there are other ways to celebrate the past. Light a candle, say a prayer, write a note, journal. There are other ways to to do that. I think it's not just so black or white. No, it's And I love that you are so cool and so... Loving with your past ex-boyfriends. Although I'm sure if any of them, and I know a few of them, are listening, they were probably laughing at the you are so cool because there were moments, as I've talked about in the past, that I have not been so cool. But but this goes into what you're talking about, and and I, I do believe that there has to be sort of a mourning period for, in most cases, obviously, again, there's always exception to the rule. But a mourning period for the relationship or uh, to get to that point, like the idea of should I call my ex, it's his birthday. Well, have you been broken up with your ex for 10 years and they're your friend and this wouldn't be an unusual thing? Uh, Did you just break up with that person and you think, you know, what is the intent of that? And that's something that you would you would say to me, what's the intention here? Right. So but here's the thing from it. If it's your birthday or not, like, I'm a loving, caring person, but I can't even imagine. (laughs) This is just me. I can't even imagine reaching out to ex-boyfriends or relationships to, like, go out of my way (laughs) to say happy birthday when you broke my heart (laughs) at one point or whatever. But, you know, like, I'm not saying I don't wish you well, but I don't need to be your best friend. But at the same time, I look back, and again, this is me. This is my personal. This is not for everybody. I don't think everybody is here, but just as an explanation of where I'm at. Like, I also look back, and I think, yeah, you broke my heart, and it was miserable, and I may have even cursed you at the time, but thank you. Thank you. Had you not... We both wouldn't be where we are or as happy or as successful totally. or where we are at this moment. They wouldn't have the beautiful children they have. I wouldn't have my wonderful husband. They wouldn't have, you know, we wouldn't be in the same places. So yep. so there's also an inevitability uh, that I that I love uh, in those relationships and that I, I still cherish them. And yes, some of them are 
I'm less connected to, but um, but I always, yeah, I hold a warm place for them in my heart. Do you did you know that you had compatibility with your husband when you first met him? Yes, but that's okay. So here we go into the conversation about compatibility. Moving on. When I was preparing for us to have this conversation, I kind of looked up some ideas of different people's ideas of what compatibility were. Mm-hmm. And so compatibility usually comes down, the, the conversation usually breaks into two avenues of thought. Like there's the opposites attract or the similarity. So sort of similarity versus complementary. Although I actually think that there's a third one and it's it's a variation. It's on um, the complementary because I think that both of those things can exist. But compatibility is not as much about sex and passion and all the things that we mentioned before, you know, getting really hot and passionate and wanting to rip each other's clothes off at, you know, all times. That hotness, as, as we know, I mean, it takes work to sustain that and it ebbs and flows. It's hard to re- have that hotness all the time. Yeah. I hate that pressure. I, it is- <laughs> I hate that, especially when I'm eating a Snickers bar during our podcast. <laughs> hotness. Yeah, but but hot, hotness is in the eye of the beholder, too, right? Sure. Um, so compatibility comes down to, usually comes down to some of these things, uh, common values and life goals. Okay, I, I also want to... I also want to clarify that I'm talking about compatibility versus chemistry, like what's more important or and what role do they play in a relationship. Now, sexual compatibility, sexual chemistry, both have to do with long-term relationships, but I also think that you can explore those things without the confines of a relationship, and that's a whole other topic. But in a relationship, if you're looking for a long-term relationship, compatibility... Values, like values? Common values and goals. Like, what do you want your life to look like? Does your moral compass have to be the same as his moral compass? Well, that's a good question. Or can it be different and you still can be fine? I think that it is different for everybody, but that is So it doesn't have to be a cookie cutter? I don't think it's a cookie cutter. I I think it's as varied as, as people are. There's something like six areas that I think maybe it's e-harmony or, or somebody is broken down and and religion and spirituality is one thing I mean if you are a devout atheist and you are trying to have or in a long-term relationship with someone who is a devout believer there's going to be conflict there now it doesn't have to be devastating conflict I know plenty of couples who are you know of different faiths faith, yeah. or different mm-hmm. beliefs and it they work it out but but that has to be agreed upon mm-hmm. if one person really wants kids and the other person really doesn't mm-hmm. has to be negotiated mm-hmm. and i think the more important it is to one person or the other the more com- the more potential for conflict mm-hmm. you're going to have so what do you want your life to look like and is the other person on board with that? Do they have a similar take on it? And then these all kind of tap into the things that you were talking about with these couples that you saw. High level of comfort with each other. You know, do you feel comfortable walking around naked? 
Do you feel comfortable when your partner says, um, baby, uh, you got you got a little bear in the cave, you know? You got a little booger in your nose. Or are you going to be like, ah, or don't ever talk about that. Um, you know, how comfortable are you with someone? I always, always think, like, at what point do you start farting in front of one another, mm-hmm. right? Or going to the bathroom with the door open. Or, yeah, or burping. Uh, one of my exes comes from a very large Irish Or when family. they say, shave my back hair. <laughs> right. Is that okay? You're like if, if When that, you become real. Right. Real. And can you, can you get with that? Right. Like, I lived with somebody who I'm still friends with. So if he's listening, he'll know it's him. Who came from a big Irish family. Mm-hmm. And he had a very strong door shut, bathroom door shut policy. Mm-hmm. I came from a different state <laughs> where you know I spent I spent many years around women living with other women. When my dad wasn't around, the door was open and you're talking to one another. <laughs> and even if the door is closed, this person was like, "I don't exist. If that door is closed, don't talk to me. I yeah. don't exist." And that was his boundary. And you know what? That was fine. It was fine. It wasn't the way that I was. I had to kind of tweak a little bit but it really wasn't that big of a deal but it is one of those compatibility things like are you okay with that if you are not if you're like no I have to have the door open always and I feel like if you close that door that I'm losing some intimacy yeah uh then you might have a problem or that means intimacy when you leave the door open Right. It just can be so different for everybody. But it's a respect, too. Mm -hmm. And, like, I could respect because growing up in that house, that was the only sacred place and time that he could have Mm -hmm. or anybody could have in a house with, you know, seven, eight kids. That's Mm -hmm. what you... That's, you know, plus parents and whatever. I I understand. It's a different background. Moving on. Uh, Shared experiences. Mm -hmm. Or, or something. Uh, a lot of people come from the same place. You, you, I run into a lot of couples who tell these crazy stories about how they grew up 10 miles away from each other or five minutes away from each other. And then they met, you know, halfway across the country in this really odd way. But at the same time, there's something that's not really strange about that because we're drawn to people mm-hmm. who are from the same places or share the same values or have had shared experiences. Mm-hmm. Ability to have fun with each other. Totally. Yep. You gotta laugh. You gotta have fun with each other. Have to. Humor, like you said, I think it's so important. Mm-hmm. It, I I cannot imagine. I mean, I know I've been on dates with people like this, but I can't imagine that they lasted very long. But I couldn't imagine living with somebody who didn't get my sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Just that sort of blank look on their face, or having to explain something. No, no, it's a joke. Mm -hmm. This is why it's funny, right? Mm -hmm. That could be very painful and difficult. Yep. Humor is a huge part of, of life and how you get through things. And, but a lot of people did not grow up with that role modeled. Uh, but it doesn't mean that they can't learn it. When you're talking about role modeled, are you talking about, what are you talking about? Uh, like, they did not see humor expressed, displayed from their mother, from their father, from older siblings. They just didn't see humor. So they don't really understand it, or they can't read it, or there's some other challenges that uh, they can't read social cues or things like that. So there, there's a little bit of a struggle, but it doesn't mean you can't learn it and develop it. 
Sure, if that's important to you. Mm-hmm. Or find somebody who shares your sense of you. Because I think most people have a sense that something is funny or, or find things funny. What is often different is how, whether or not they can find somebody else who finds the same things funny. Or I'll see clients that are very, very serious. And there's nothing funny, (laughs) which makes it funny. (laughs) You know, there's nothing funny. And so I have to teach them. You know, part of my job is to teach them that they, that, you know, the heaviness is, can be destructive or damaging to the relationship because not everything has to be so heavy. And especially if two people are very serious and they have children, I have to teach kind of humor and playfulness and not being, you know, not making everything like a joke, but that there's a certain uh, amount of of heaviness kids don't get, you know, and, and they're too young. And okay, so what I'm getting to is adults that are very serious. And then when we look into their childhood, they didn't play as children. They didn't have the luxury to play. They grew up in really traumatic situations or there's a genetic component that uh, some attachment issue that made it a very insecure, anxious attachment or avoidant attachment. So, So something and you have these two adults who don't understand that it's okay to play. When you're saying that, I also thought about the other extreme, children who grew up with parents or a parent who were maybe too laid back or um, always making jokes or everything was funny and that they felt that a child could feel like they weren't being taken seriously Mm -hmm. when they needed to be or somebody needed to be serious and I've seen that too you like the really serious kid who can't appreciate the jocularity of the family because to them it's like somebody's got to worry about things you know about getting someplace on time or you know or it's not so funny that dinner fell on the floor totally right yeah they feel like they've got to hold it together so that's also what happens when that person grows up Mm -hmm. so that might be another example of what you're talking about yeah this could be useful Good signs of compatibility for lasting partnerships, timeliness and punctuality, that you kind of got to be on the same page with that. If punctuality is really important to you, but not to your partner, that's going to drive you crazy. And these are areas that could be potentially conflicting. And it could be passive aggressive if somebody is very, very late and everybody's always waiting for that person and there's something that is very unspoken about that so it doesn't mean again the cookie cutter but you know somewhat uh you know agreeable and and be able to be on the same page right to understand where that person is at if that person's always running 10 minutes behind to sort of accept that 
that. Mm-hmm. Cleanliness and orderliness. If you are really uptight about everything being clean and OCD, kind of even, you know, really extreme levels, it's going to be really difficult to be with someone who's what I call anal explosive, right? Where nothing ever is in a place or has no sense of organization. But how many couples do we see that have that spectrum, right? From either end, it's a very kind of bipolar experience that somebody's really messy and somebody's very OCD. You see that often. And the opposites attract. Uh-huh. And it's also exposure therapy, so it's not so awful for that OCD person, but or that messy person, but you know, there there has to be some happy medium or what we call the gray area. You know, it's not so black or white. So, but yes, again, we're talking about your moral compass and values, morals, ethics, like, you know, common interests. Uh, I think that's very important, Cap- you know, compatibility is like what you said. And priorities. Yeah. You know, if it's, if it's really important to you to have an orderly home, and all of these things get heightened when you've got kids, too. Oh, yeah. You add, you add children to that, which is another thing that you can't control. And, and then control. financial stress or job stress right. or illness or, you know, uh, uh, generational, you know, where grandparents are ill. I mean, there's just so much that goes into having a partner and, and being successful. In a long-term relationship, you're going to have those milestones. Mm-hmm. And part of this conversation is also to, to say and encourage anybody who's listening, uh, who's in a long-term relationship or interested in getting in one now with someone you, you know or someone in the future, are, these are things to talk about, you know, to kind of, and to kind of think about and be aware of because... Again, they seem so innocuous, and it's really nobody's thinking about this when you're thinking, I can't wait to get in that person's pants. Uh-huh. You know, when uh-huh. all of that hotness again, uh-huh. when all of that fire is going uh-huh. off, it's nobody's thinking fantasy, right? All the fantasy, and then you get to the reality wait a minute, this person is not so fresh and clean, or this person is not as educated as you would like, or they're a hothead and they're not as, uh, you know, as emotionally balanced or whatever the issue, or they have addiction problems or whatever. Education you just mentioned, uh, that's also something that somebody talked about, that you need to be cognizant of that, because that can also cause stress. Um, On either end, if you feel less than somebody or you look at your partner with less respect, if it's really important to you that somebody be educated, right? These things can really flare up at different times. So also issues of compatibility. Uh, Money and spending, which is probably, it goes back and forth with sex in terms of areas that people argue about. So sex and money, the top issues of what causes divorce. I've learned and keep learning and relearning is that we've got to go towards the things that are hardest or the things that are most uncomfortable. So those things are really uncomfortable for a lot of people to talk about. And so therefore, they're probably the most important things to talk about, right? Got to go there. Got to go there. The more you don't want to go there, probably means yeah. that's exactly where you need to go. Yep. So then sex and intimacy. And it's, it's really hard to gauge those things at first because, again, the honeymoon phase 
dials down. Yep, and, and reality sets in, and you would be so surprised. Well, maybe you wouldn't be surprised, but a lot of people <laughs> would be surprised at how many people don't talk about sex. How, when, where, they don't talk about it. And so they do all these things with assumptions. Well, I assume it feels good. Well, I assume she doesn't care. Or I assume, you know, that it's just fine how it is. Or there's these private lives of men. Men feel like they're so scared. A lot of times men are scared to initiate or try something new or offer some fantasy or idea. It's, uh, you know, there's a lot of shame and embarrassment about trying something, you know, that looks outside the box kind of thing or creative. And so they just don't talk. Nobody talks and they keep it all, you know, locked inside. And, And when it's expressed, it's a really beautiful thing to see a couple kind of come together and say, well, I'm willing to do this or I've never thought about that or why haven't you talked to me about that? So negotiating. Like you were just talking about the way that it is for men. It's not that much different, I don't think, for women, too. I think a lot of men and women both are afraid to talk about it because there's a feeling. And this is something I know I've felt in the past, uh, even though it's not something I feel anymore in my current relationship, that it's like Pandora's box. If you ask that question... You don't know what answer you're going to get, and there's this fear that you're going to get an answer you don't want. So there's a fear that you're going to find out your partner's not satisfied, your partner's not attracted to you, and you're going to feel inadequate, and it's all your fault. But wouldn't you want to know that, like, if you go there and you get all the fears unleashed that you just said... Wouldn't you want to know that so you can just move forward, you know? And I think, like you said, people are scared to do that. But I am one who teaches not to walk on eggshells. And it's very hard. How often do we hear that? I'm walking on eggshells with someone. But if you walk on eggshells, you're not being authentically you. You are worried about the other person instead of yourself. And I I feel and I teach Um, And I encourage people to push through that and deal with the truth so they don't not waste their time, but, you know, that they know where everybody is. And so I I think it's so important to to deal with your fears and push forward and just say this is the deal. And I like getting freaky with, you know watching elephants on the TV or whatever it is. I mean, I whatever it is, you no, know. No, is wrong. No, and I'm not into I'm just saying. Like, I don't You're even know where I'm watching elephants <laughs> on TV. Yeah. But. No, but I love elephants. I do love yeah. elephants. Yeah. But but I'm just saying like whatever somebody's fantasy is, you know, like instead of be embarrassed about it, like embrace it, say this is me. If you're into it, great. And if you're not, let's just talk about it. And if it's devastating for the other person, then I guess you're not my match. And so we should move forward. Then it's important information. Totally. The sooner you get it out, like you said, the sooner you're going to either get on with it or get over it, which is information is power. But I also think about being in a relationship and making yourself vulnerable like that. It's not about me and it's not you it's about the relationship and I gotta get my ego out of the way I gotta get my my vanity or my fear of my ego being bruised always fear of rejection yep 
Always. And it's trust, right? Right. What's relationship? Trust and intimacy. And if you don't have trust and you don't have intimacy, I have to get ugly with someone. And if you can't see all my ugly or you can't tolerate my ugly, then you're not for me. Yeah. You know, you need to get ugly with someone. And if they can't see your ugly and, and you know, be able to, to handle that, then that, you know, I, I how often do we hear that? Well, this person can handle my stuff, and I just don't think anybody else can. That's such a myth, you know? It's a myth that you're too much for someone, you know? And, and so you have to settle. I hear that all the time, and that makes me so sad because, you know, then that means that you feel like you're damaged goods. Right. Instead of, like, you're the prize. And we all have a history, and we all have life experience and you know if someone cares about you they will learn how to be strong enough for you i always think about it in terms of bring it on bring on your worst show me your worst then at that point i know it's like most of the time it's like oh yeah that's nothing i can handle that right Mm -hmm. it's like there's very you know obviously for people there are going to be things where you're like yeah i don't want to know that you know or i don't want to see that and i got to get out um, you know, for me, a big boundary has been there's a certain level of, of rage for me that I can't tolerate. And that's because it triggers stuff in me from my background. And so I've always been really clear about that. When I've seen it, doesn't matter if it's, you know, two weeks or two years into a relationship. For me, it shuts me down. So that's a deal breaker. That was a deal breaker for me. Mm-hmm. Even there are other things that haven't been. You know, so it's sort of, but that doesn't mean losing temper. I mean, getting to the point where somebody is, where I feel physically intimidated. Mm-hmm. For me, that's... Feels unsafe. That feels unsafe. Yeah. Um, other people have different feelings about that and can handle it and can walk away or can match it or it's not as scary. Mm-hmm. It all really depends on where you're, you're at. Mm-hmm. But back to the sex and intimacy... Intimacy also is going to look different for everybody, but I loved what you said about you have to be having to be into the same thing or open to exploring what the other person is into Mm -hmm. uh, or hearing about it or learning about it. I feel like we've had this conversation before, the whole Chris Rock bit about, you know, whatever your lady's into, you got to be into, right? Because if you can't share what you like, you're going to have some problems. That's right. But when you really love somebody, you got to love everything about them. You got to love the crust of a motherfucker. You can't just love the white part of the bread. You got to love the crust, the crumbs, the little fucking crumbs at the bottom of the toaster. That's what the real motherfucker is. Whatever you into, your woman got to be into too. And vice versa of the shit ain't going to work. It ain't going to work. It ain't going to work. That's right. If you born again, your woman got to be born again too. If you a crackhead, your woman got to be a crackhead too. Or the shit won't work. You can't be like, I'm going to church. Where you going? Hit the pipe? (laughs) That relationship ain't going nowhere. Well, two crackheads can stay together forever. You gotta be into the same things, and that's compatibility. And I don't know if it's, again, that cookie cutter, you have to be as swept up and swept away on that level as someone else, you know? But interested... 
In part two of this episode, Dr. Winnie and Miss Jenny continue their conversation about chemistry and compatibility in successful relationships. They explore more compatibility considerations in coupledom and discuss their thoughts on if it's possible to cultivate chemistry and make new connections in old relationships. You've been listening to The Relationship Show with Dr. Wendy and Miss Jenny, a casual conversation between two friends and colleagues taking serious topics not so seriously. Dr. Wendy O'Connor and Jenny J.V. Wilson see clients in private practice in Los Angeles, California, and can be found online at www.doctorwendyoconnor.com and www.jennijbwilson.com. For entertainment purposes only. The existential question, what the fuck is nougat? <laughs> <laughs>